Yeah, um, so there are two funny things about that video. Um, one's the kid getting hit off. That's pretty funny. But if you're a parent, the funny thing is, Quinn! Like the second, like the follow-up, that's, that's you're like, yeah, I, I've been there. I've been in that moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, I am not Brent. Um, uh, and and you're, you're looking and saying, you know, Brent is much older, more mature than this guy, probably wiser. Um, let me rest and put you at ease. He is actually quite younger than me, um, and I am better looking. <laughs> but whatever. So, I mean, what, what, do I, what do I bring to the table that makes, me, uh, that, that makes me qualified to speak here this morning? And I was kind of trying to think through, how do I give you my credibility? And I think, what's the most pivotal thing that establishes me as a quality person to speak right now? And I think it's because uh, in third grade, I was the MVP of my rec soccer league team. And so I think that really that says, hey, listen, Seth's got something to say. So I'm, I'm going to give it a go. Um, before we get after it, let me just pray and uh, we'll dig in. Jesus, uh, we do look to you and uh, we want to get to know you more. Some of us are here and have had a long-standing relationship with you, and some of us are here and don't really know what we think about you, but we're all here trying to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. I do pray that you will work profoundly in us and help us to understand you more. In your name, amen. So uh, my wife and I and our boys, um, we used to live in the Tri-Cities. We were here for about seven years, and about five years ago now, we moved back to Denver, Colorado. <clears throat> But in the midst of our travels back and forth from Richland to Colorado, where a ton of our family lives, um, we would drive all the time. I mean, we drove so much. And uh, we rocked the Chevy Venture minivan like nothing else. I mean, we, <laughs> we made it look good. And um, it did have a VHS player in it, though. That was pretty rad. That was, it was really cool. So um, we, uh, but we would drive back and forth all the time. And... Um, one year, about 10 years ago, I got this new device. Dude, the iPhone 1, Google Maps. thing was amazing. You plug in a, you know, the address and you would drive. Well, when we were going one time to uh, Colorado, we decided our first stop was to, be, to connect with my family at a, at a Rockies baseball game. And so I got the map thing out and I'm driving around. And we get down to downtown Denver. I'm looking for a parking spot and I find one. So I take the minivan, back that thing up into the, it was, you know, back it up. It was, it was a three-point parallel park downtown Denver. So I pull out the phone. Okay, we're in downtown Denver. You know, where, where's, where's Coors Field? And my wife looks, taps me on the shoulder and goes, that one? And it's like towering over us, right? And we get, but it was, it was just so funny to me because, like, I'm all about my new device and trying to figure out where I am, and it's right there, right? And I think that really kind of played out for me as I was thinking about this pilgrimage series, because we did so many pilgrimages back to Colorado, and how many times I would miss stuff because I was looking at my, my phone, my maps, and I didn't even realize I was, at, I was at Coors Field. It was right there. It was, you know, that is the thing. And that's so much a part of our life that we don't necessarily stop to think about where we are. We're looking about where is next. Um, I love having a phone uh, when I travel, because, you know, spring break, driving trips, or wherever, you can always tell how far away you are from the next destination. You know, when I was a kid, 
right? You had like a sign every 72 miles that would tell you when the next town was, right? And if you're fighting with your brother and you missed one, you had no idea how far Salt Lake City was. Like you were, this sucks. So now I got a phone, man, like every seven minutes. I'm like, oh, seven more minutes away, you know? <laughs> it's just like, Cal, my son is now 15, or he's 16 now. God bless his voice. Um, and he was driving over spring break, and man, I was checking my phone all the time. I was like, dude, just speed up, man. We gotta go. We're, I mean, we're not making time. We're losing time. Let's drive. But dad, I'm going to speed limit. Listen. I'll talk to the cop. Anyway, so, but we are always looking at what's next, and we're always pushing in in our pilgrimages. We are always wondering how can I get to, to where I'm going? Very seldom do we think about life here. We're always either thinking about our past or we're thinking about into our future. And as we live our life, as the series says, we, we push in to what is next. Brent has done the first two weeks of the series called uh, Pilgrimage, and uh, his first week was pack lightly. Sometimes we just carry too much stuff. I think we can think about that very physically. You know, when you go camping and you bring your entire living room and you set it up next to the river, missing the fact that there's a river there and you're watching your TV because you got your satellite dish and all that stuff. I think that's physically we can talk about packing too much stuff. But I think metaphorically too, right? Carrying too much burden um, with us. I think, uh, and then last week, uh, Brent was talking about speaking to yourself. How do you speak to yourself well? Uh, Because what you say to yourself really does matter. And I think it's true. And so today we're just going to dive into what do you do while you're here? Uh, here, uh, the definition of here is at least Google. I don't know if it's Webster. I don't know. Does anybody use like a dictionary anymore? Anyway, so Google says here is in this place or position. While you are in this place, in this position, the blue blinking light on your phone of your life, right? In, in that blinking light, where is your here? I want you to think about that for a minute. Where, what you are here, you are here in life. I would venture to guess. I would venture to bet that no one in this room would say 10 years ago that you would be here doing what you're doing the way you're doing it today. So 10 years ago, you did not think that you would be in this room, doing this job, married, divorced, hired, fired, um, house, no house, apartment, um, friends, no friends, whatever it is. Nobody in this room truly believes or really thought about the fact that this is where you'd be. There's, there's, I, I just can't imagine there's anybody in this room. I remember when, I was, uh, when we moved back to Denver, we left here and we moved back to Denver, and I was looking for a job, and people were like, hey, so, so what do you want to do? I'm like, I eat? Feed my family? Like, there's like five jobs in the world that exist that like, you plan for, like you look forward to. It's like airplane pilot, teacher, uh, doctor... Like, you don't plan on, I just can't wait to work at PNNL and just, like, crush the, crush the cubicle. I'm just all over it, man. I'm super excited. Like, nobody says that, right? It's like, it was the silliest question for somebody to ask me what I want to do. I just, I want to get a good job that pays the bills and uh, will help me, um, yeah, like, feed my family. That's kind of what I'm going for. Maybe retire. That'd be great. We don't really have a plan, so our here is always changing. I, I even think of my son, Calvin. Um, my boys, while we were here, went to Badger Mountain Elementary. That's getting torn down. Like, just found that out. Nobody asked me. Nobody asked my opinion. I didn't vote for that. Anyway. Um, but I remember one day he came home. Calvin came home from, from school. He goes, Dad, I want to be a Badger Mountain Patriot, which meant pa- Patriot, right? Which 
whatever. So it meant that you graduate, you went to Badger Mountain in kindergarten, and then you graduated in sixth grade from Badger Mountain. You did the full Badger Mountain patriotism thing. Well, I ruined that for him. We moved. Like, he didn't anticipate it. He wanted to graduate from Badger Mountain Elementary. Well, our lives are always changing. We're always trying to figure out where we are and why we're here. And as I think about that, I was thinking about uh, the disciples. Jesus, was a, Jesus lived a long time ago. He had an amazing ministry, and he brought some people into his ministry. And he had 12 really close disciples that he brought into his ministry. And it's just kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever looked at the story of Jesus grabbing, grabbing the disciples and, and then having them follow him. But um, it's pretty accosting to me if you stop and read it appropriately. So, for instance, Mark, Matt, chapter 4. We have two, two different calls of Jesus onto the disciples. And it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. After a long time of evaluating, after pondering the pros and cons, now, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brothers, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So they have just finished a night of work. They smell like fish. They smell like seawater. They're mending their, their nets. They're fixing it to get ready to do it all over again, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And I can't imagine that multiple times in their careers, fishermen, they're like, dude, how did I get here? And do I really want to be my dad? Like, is this where I want to end up? Like, this is it. But these boats were major um, investments. Like, it would be the equivalent of a house. Like, this is like a thing that you have that will make you money forever, and you can hand down as, a, as inheritance to your kids. Right? This is a major, major investment. And immediately, they left just cashed in their chips, said, we're out, walking off the set. And that's just wild. So it would be like this. Like, let's say you're a, a barista at, at Starbucks, and you're hanging out, you're Monday morning, you're, you're cruising 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, get their first shift, and you're working, and all of a sudden some dude walks in and goes, how's it going? You're like, fine. You just wanted to, like, just hang out with me, I'm going to go do some cool stuff. You just want to, like, hang out, just follow me around. We're just, it's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. If you love your job, you love your family, you, lo- you love where you live, you love everything about it, you're like, dude, I, I'm, you're weird, I'm out. But if you're like, dude, I hate my job, 4.30 in the morning sucks every day, I hate this, you're like, why am I here, how did I get here, what's going on? You're going to pack up and you're like, dude, I'll give it a shot, anything's better than what I'm doing, this grind is terrible. And so you think about that, I mean, these disciples were doing that, day in and day out, same old, same old, living the grind, and Jesus calls them and says, hey... I, your here isn't great. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go on an adventure. So these disciples start shifting their whole mindset. They go from mediocre in, in the world, uh, in the viewpoint of the world, hardworking guys who just, there's no future. You're going to be doing this until you die. You know, you're going to do it with your dad until he dies. And then you're going to do it with your kids, and they'll do it with you until you die. It's just kind of endless, man. There's no, there's no 401k in the fisherman business. It's just not there. So they jump ship, they follow Jesus around. But then something weird happens. So after the call to ministry, people start watching, these disciples start seeing Jesus do some pretty cool things. Some healings, some feedings, some really cool teachings, other miracles. 
dude, they're like, this Jesus guy is pretty cool. He's pretty powerful. And there's some clamoring going around. And so we move from Jesus calling these, these disciples in whatever their here is into a new reality, a new here. And this is what happens in Luke, in Luke chapter 9. An argument arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was the greatest. So they go from, I hate my life, to, wait a minute, there's a power shift here, and I want to make sure I've positioned myself just right. I want to make sure I've got the right seat on the bus so I can sit close as you. I'm not going to be Jesus, but I'm going to be kind of like him. I'm going to be pretty close. And I, want to, I want to have a, a pretty powerful seat when everything goes down, because it's going to go down. So this is kind of their attitude. This is their bickering. So they go from, I'm not sure about where my here is, and then they move into, like, kind of entitled. They're an entitled group of misfits. They were misfits before, and now they're an entitled group of misfits. So, Jesus, so brilliant. I mean, he doesn't even do it. Let's go. Chapter 47. So the next next verse, it says, But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, and we see that all over the time. Jesus is like a mind reader. Like, he can read a room. He knows the, the psychological things that are going on. He can tell by people's faces and positioning. He knows exactly what's going on in this conversation. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is, is great. So Jesus, like, he doesn't even directly address it. He just kind of gives them the verbal spanking with, uh, with, with just a, a great story. And he just kind of puts them in their place. And it's just really wonderful to see Jesus do that. So, so sharply, so brilliantly, so specifically. So Jesus calls them out, but they still don't get it. So then as we move forward, we see uh, Jesus is, is moving in his ministry, and he's continuing to do his ministry. And uh, it says, so they start going forward, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. <clears throat> so Jesus has this strategy. He's like, we're going to go into Samaria, and we've got some ministry to do there. Now, Samaria to the Jews is kind of like uh, World War II Berlin was to Jews. Not a safe place, very hostile, a lot of hatred, certainly no love, no compassion. Early, you know, early Berlin, it wasn't super, you know, they weren't doing like the full-on extinction Holocaust thing, but it was pretty intense hatred of the Jews. And Jesus is like, hey, I got some scouts. I want them to go check out Samaria. I want them to, um, I want them to find a place for us to hang out and kind of get, in, get into our ministry. We're going to do some ministry there. And the disciples are like, bro, Jesus, bad idea. I don't know if you know this. Let me give you a little uh, civic study, but this is not going to go well. But he's like, dude, I don't care. This is where we're going. So he sends, the, he sends two uh, scouts out to make preparations for him, but the people did not receive him because his face was set to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So we see these disciples go from misfits to entitled to now, like, grumpy, empowered group of people who are like, dude, Jesus, you got dissed? And we hate these Samaritans people anyway, so let's just burn, it, burn this town down. Let's just get it done. Let's just fire it up, get rid of them. The world will be a better place if we get rid of this group of people. And Jesus rebukes them. And why does he rebuke them? I, I love this line, a line that you might just run over. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. 
So if you're reading this Bible, if you're reading the life of Jesus for the first time, you don't really know the end game, you don't know what's going on, you haven't heard how Jesus fulfills his life, you read this line, because his face was set to Jerusalem, you're probably going to think that there's power and influence involved. Like, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, the capital city, to claim his rightful place on, on some sort of throne, some sort of powerful position, kick out somebody, do something, mutiny, you know, um, overtaking a group of people, whatever. He's got, he's got vision, he's got focus, he's got the power to do it. But this is in the middle of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 9. There are like eight more chapters in the book of Luke after this. And Jesus' face is already set to Jerusalem. Jesus' face is set to Jerusalem, not for power, not for prestige, not for comfort, but for death. The disciples hated their life. They hated their here. We often find ourselves hating our here, whatever that here is, questioning our here, frustrated with our here. But Jesus never once questioned his here. He never once questioned where he was headed and what he was about to do. We have no idea what our future has for us. Jesus knew exactly where his future was for us. From the moment he started, landed on earth, before then, right, he knew what his endgame was. Death, pain, ridicule, destruction, that's where Jesus was headed. Jesus' face was set to the redemption of the world. And that's what he's getting at with the disciples. Not only do I not want to destroy Samaria, disciples, I want to save them. I want to redeem them. I want to capture their hearts. I want them in our family. I want them a part of our world. And you know what, disciples? Not only do they need salvation, so do you. You know what, disciples? You know what he's like? Not only the disciples, not only Samaritans, but we need Christ's salvation. Christ, before you were born, his face was set towards Jerusalem for your salvation, for your good. You question you're here all the time. How did I get here? Why am I here? Why did these mistakes lead me to this position? I never wanted to come back to the Tri-Cities. I never wanted to live here in the first place. I made some really bad mistakes. It cost me some convictions, and now I can't overcome this. I can't even get a job. Why do I have this job? And it seems dead end. I worked hard for that promotion. I didn't get it. Now what do I do? I loved this girl, and she just walked away and divorced me. I'm not sure about this here. Where am I going to go from here? Where am I? I don't even know where I am. Jesus never questioned where he was. He never questioned where he was going, as painful as that death was. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think there's like, like three of us, maybe four of us in, in this room. I'm going to paint with a broad brush, and I want you to attach yourself to one of those. Like, I'm not going to get your story specifically, but I think that you fit in one of these three categories. I think some of us in this room really look at our past and wonder what, what got us here. Why did I end up here? Why am I here? And I'm frustrated with your past and really angry about the decisions you've made. And you just sit there and you go, man, I don't know if this is where I... I should be. I don't know how to get out of where I am. So 
the past. I think there's some of us who, who look at our present and go, how do I get out of this? I'm, stu- I'm stuck here. It feels dead end in every area of my life. Um, I'm really frustrated. Um, and I think that there's some of us in this room who are very content with where we are, but I promise you it will change. Something will shake up. Something will break. You'll get ready to retire and you'll have you know, a heart attack that hinders your ability to, to enjoy your retirement that you've worked so hard for. Um, so we're all, one of, we fit into one of those three places. And then there's a fourth group of people who are going, did the Mariners really just destroy the Red Sox in Fenway Park? Like, did that just happen? But I mean, anyway, that's the internet. So those, so that's kind of um, where we find ourselves, somewhere in that spectrum. Um, and I think that Jesus calls to us and asks, uh, and asks for us something in the midst of our here. We may not know where we're going. We don't have the red um, pin on our maps. We don't know where we're necessarily going to end up. But Jesus is saying, while you are here on this journey, while you are here, be present in here. And he's asking us to consider three things. The first thing I think he's asking us to do is rest. Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf can never be added to, never be improved, never be bettered, never be uh, something that was nice that happened a long time ago but isn't necessarily valuable anymore. Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf is the perfect work. And it is because that foundational perfect work that happened that we can find rest. We can relax. We don't have to accomplish something to please somebody. We don't have to prove ourselves to our parents. We don't have to um, make amends for things that we can never fix. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to f- promote ourselves or give more money to the church, although Brent would like that. Um, we, don't have to, um, we don't have to do anything to add to what Christ has done. And so Jesus is again calling us again and again and again and again and again and saying, rest. We live in a world that is constantly telling us to accomplish, constantly telling us to win that championship, constantly telling us to overcome this, to get the promotion, to get the bigger house, to get the boat. We are constantly being told that we need more to accomplish more, to fix more. And Jesus says, I've already taken care of what's important. Rest in me. Rest. Rest, rest, rest. And it's a good reminder for us. I remember talking to Brent, you know, halfway through the whole COVID thing. And um, he was just like, he's like, dude, I've talked to so many people like two years ago. Like, I just want to slow down. Just take it easy. I'm just going to read books. Yeah, nobody did. It's like, Netflix. Woo. Binge. Woo-hoo! But I think that's a challenge for us. That's a reflection of our reality that we don't live in rest. We don't work out of rest. We work out of doing more, adding more. And Jesus says, rest in me. Rest. And out of that rest, then he tells us to ask. Wherever you are, you're here. Wherever you're here is, you're mending boats, you're fishing, you smell like fish every day, you hate your job, you hate your this, you hate your that. You are here. You need to be present So ask, ask God, what more can I do? If I find my rest in you, if I I find my my strength and my rest and my hope in you, then what else should I do? Ask God, what do I do? And and ask those around you. 
Ask your friends, what am I good at? Like, what, what more should I do? Oh, I'm, I'm good at hosting parties. I'm good at, at hanging out. Maybe I should just have some shindigs at my house with masks six feet apart. <laughs> Maybe you're good with words. Like, you don't like to speak, but you're good at writing, and, and so you, you could write notes to people and, and encourage them through, through words. Maybe it's checking in with your coworkers, just really honestly finding out, not just like, what did you do this weekend, but really starting to find out more about them. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your husband. Tell me about um, you, uh, your living situation. Like you start to get to know people and, and create an environment of connection that people care about in, in your office or your, your, your virtual office. It's a harder thing to do in, in our current work-from-home reality. But maybe that's something that you're called to do. Maybe you're, you're being asked, maybe God is calling you to, um, to fix things in your past, and it's time for you to, to apologize and, and to make things right, and it might be really hard, or it might be really messy, but it's okay, because Christ has finished the perfect work. So I don't know what that could be, so start asking, asking God, asking those around you, I mean, uh, and then the last thing is move, move. There might be some great movement for you, and you're starting to get a stirring. I mean, the movement might be just responding to the fact that Christ is calling you to rest. Like You've been pondering this Jesus person for a while, but he's coming real to you, and he's challenging you, and he's saying, find your rest in me. You have tried to accomplish your objectives in life over here, and it will never be enough. It will never satisfy, and Christ is saying, rest, find rest in me, and that might be your move today. I'm stepping in. I'm saying I'm going to find my rest in Christ. I'm done trying to do it on my own. I want to find rest, and out of that rest, I want to do something. Because the reality is the beauty of what Christ has done. This is one of the greatest phrases I've ever I've ever been able to say to myself is it's not that we have to, but because of what Christ has done, we get to. Brent has created an amazing environment here at East Lake, and he's fought very hard for you. He, he cares deeply about all of you, and you need to know that. I, I hear it from him week in and week out how much he cares about this community and how much he lost on Bitcoin. Um, but he loves you, but he also wants to see uh, how how you as a church can move. And so he's got his wear love, right? I mean, that's a huge part of what East Lake is about and the base camp and getting involved and, and being a part of changing the world. Haiti, you have connections in Haiti and Cambodia and, and what can you do? And so, so there are opportunities for you to go and do things, not because you have to. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Jesus has proven everything, but you get to. You get to reflect who Christ is, not to make Christ happier with you, he already loves you. You just get to respond to what he has done for you. And so those are the three things. As we think about where we are, you are here. I don't know why you're here. I don't know how you got here. You are that blue blinking dot and blink, right? Flash. Be, be something that, that people see and go, wow, Christ is doing something in their life. Again, not because you have to, but because you get to. Um, my marketing uh, department... Um, told me I should really connect with females. Um, just not good, necessarily. I can talk about sports and stuff. And so my marketing department's my wife. And uh, so um, so I got Magnolia Journal. Have you guys heard of this? It's a, there's a, they like fix things or something? I don't know. Um, but the cover this month, uh, this quarter, issue number 18, is uh, time well spent beholding the beauty of the here and now. And I think because what Christ has done for us and he has put you here, I, I resonate with what Joanna Gaines or whoever wrote that says. Um, she just... Oh, 
was perfect. Like, was, that was me. Um, I resonate with that. And let's behold our here and now. I don't know why you're here. I don't know. You know, you can tell your story. Everybody has a story. But in your here and now, stop worrying about what's next or what was behind. But rest in Christ. Um, ask what you can do and then start moving. Let's pray. Jesus, I am thankful for what you are doing in and through Eastlake. I'm thankful for every person that is here or online. I just pray that you will, um, again, uh, rally um, people together. I'm just thankful that we're hopefully at the end of uh, this COVID stuff, and I just pray that you will do some amazing things in bringing people back together and getting a deeper sense of community. And um, I just pray that we will, we will move, not because we have to, but because we get to, and that you will guide those movements in your name. Amen.